Ferris, your background's changed again. Sorry. So has my um, internet speed and strength and indeed oh my level of, of professionalism when it comes to microphones. Um, I am uh, I'm on the south coast of England Ooh. in a place called Southampton. Mm. Mm. Actually, it's not. It's not. It's, it's not even Southampton. Although I have just been to Southampton General Hospital, um, famous for the um, erstwhile mid-morning weekday series City Hospital. Mm -hmm. which uh, people of a certain age would have watched religiously during the time they should have been working at university. Would also be, I would imagine, the first place Matt Letizia would pick it over the COVID hoax. <laughs> <laughs> is that what Hugh's doing there? Has he got a big yes. scoop? Have you joined Letizia's picket line? Surely I've been attempting to get past Manchester, him. You're not suggesting Manchester Royal Infirmary is, uh, is not good enough in terms of their, uh, their medical services. You haven't had to travel over 200 miles just to receive specialist treatment. No, there, there, there is, a, there is a, a minor football link in my trip down here in that I can describe my uh, mum's predicament last week as, uh, as doing a mini Fabrice Muamba. And uh, thankfully, like Fabrice, who we all know and are very fond of, she's okay now. Um, but it has limited my time to spend with you guys, which, of course, would normally be my priority. But uh, my mother currently in a ward, in a hospital, um, is the priority for about an hour. Then we get turfed out. <laughs> I think it's, it, it maybe indicates, you know, why this podcast is having to stop, that, that you'd rather put your mother's health over a, a piece of audio content for which you do not get paid. I think that speaks volumes for why you're, you're kind of just, just jacking it in so, so willy-nilly. Priorities are all askew. I know. It's, dist it's disgraceful, Steve. I feel rejected, to be honest. Yeah, you should. Uh, to the extent that when my mother eventually gets around to listening to this, if she does, she might be like, what are you doing? I want a better podcast. And yeah. why didn't you take your microphone down with you? That, I mean, that is, that is unforgivable, not having, not having a proper microphone with you at all times. I mean, what she really needs to be focusing on, though, in the short term, Rory, is being well enough to join us for the live show in London on the 20th of July. She's got about, she's got four weeks to, to prove her match fitness. Well, if, I mean, if I know Viv, it's, it's that she loves a set-piece menu live show. <laughs> she loves a set-piece menu live show if she's on the guest list. I think, to be honest, from my interactions with your mum, Hugh, I would say that the two things that I am certain she's interested in are weddings and set-piece menu live shows, because that's where I've met her. <laughs> and speaking to and meeting, yes, Roy Smith, you're, you're absolutely right. This is Set Piece Menu, safely finishing mid-table with our minds firmly on the beach. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Rory Smith, phoning it in, and Stephen Wyeth on autopilot. And neither will be doing either at the aforementioned SPM live show, which will be, um, as a result of our recently announced news, our final episode ever. It is indeed in London at 21 Soho on the 20th of July. It is a Wednesday evening, which I am told in London is the best evening mm. to be spent in the company of my rather frail but recovering mother at the very least. Tickets are £24.75, which includes fees. And the fee, well, I would normally suggest would go to some good cause like the NHS for looking after my frail but recovering mother so well over the course of the last week. But unfortunately, it's not. It's just at the ticket website. That website is myticket.co.uk. If you would love to come and join us as much as we would love to be in your company on the 20th of July at 21 Soho for SPM Live, our final episode ever and um, the um, the emotional blackmail worked because ticket sales took a nice little bump 
in the last seven days or so. There is, there is a thorny issue that we have to confront before the live show, Hugh. Uh, what is that? So I, I have a question to ask you, and I feel after 13 years of friendship, I'm now ready to, to, to just be, to be blunt with you, to be frank. Mm-hmm. Did you not text me on my birthday because I didn't text you on yours? <laughs> Happy birthday, Rory. Was it an act of spite? Steve texted me, and I don't even know, I've got no idea when his birthday is. I also uh, texted you. The reason that nobody in the podcast even acknowledges when my birthday is, is because it's the day before chinches. So everybody's <laughs> focus is very much on making sure they celebrate Andy Hinchcliffe, well, Carlos Tevez's, Cristiano Ronaldo, Giovanni von Bronco's birthday. So to be, to be fair, you're a normal human, Steve. So you, unlike Chinch, do not issue all of your friends and, in our cases, work colleagues with, um, <laughs> with a long list of gifts that you, you demand, essentially. I mean, I've never, never seen anything like Chinch's, kind of, Chinch's birthday list is a, is a thing to behold. The number of statuettes of animals that he, he wants every single year is extraordinary. Live, live animals. He well, there was some perched. Do you remember that year? Dice. That year when he told us he quit if we didn't buy him a chinchilla because of the fact that it had his name <laughs> in it. Get me a rare chinchilla from Peru. I have no idea if chinchillas are indeed from Peru. So they're in that area. They're in that area. No, I want to know if you did it out of spite because I, I, I'm really bad at remembering people's birthdays, and I've accepted that about myself a long time ago. So. I now don't get offended if people forget my birthday, even when it's a significant one like this year. Um, I have turned 30. And I was just wondering whether it was a conscious decision. When I don't get texts from my, on my birthday, are people as conscious of me as me of the fact that they have forgotten other people's birthdays? Because I feel terribly guilty about it, but I, I just can't be bothered remembering. Well, the, the thing that you should probably feel the most guilty about, Rory, is that when Hugh and I came over to see you recently, uh, your your wife mentions to me that there was going to be big plans to celebrate your milestone 30th birthday yeah. party. And she would be in touch to make sure that Hugh, me, our significant others were all there. That invite never came. So well, how, was, how was your celebration? Stephen, let me tell you about the ballad of Rory Smith's 40th birth- 30th birthday party. <laughs> Um, so Kate, Kate is also 40 this year, but she, she won't thank me for telling our tens of listeners that. Um, and she said to me initially in like January or February, when, you know, around the time we saw each other, she was like, well, do you want to have a party? And I obviously said no. Just, you both know me well enough to know that the one thing I fear more than anything else in the world is mixing different social groups. Don't like that. I like my, my life strictly ordered lest anyone understand that I have various facets to my personality and I'm not always quite as urbane as I appear. Um, so I said no, and then she was like, no, but we should do something, it's, it's, our 40th, it's your 40th. Uh, why don't we do something in the summer? And I said, maybe, okay. And then she said, why don't we do a joint party in August? And I said, yeah, that's, you know, that's not a terrible idea, that might work. And then kind of a few weeks went by and Kate said, so what should we do at this party? August seems quite soon, doesn't it? Um, why don't we do it in September? I was like, that's a bit weird, doing it in September. Why don't we have a party in September? Uh, and then another few weeks went by, and she said, why don't we have our joint 40th birthday party in late October? Now, I don't know if you can guess when Kate's birthday is. <laughs> so I think there's a good chance that you and Katie and Hugh and Gemma will all be invited to Kate, and in brackets, Rory's 40th birthday party around or about Halloween. Um, people are screaming at us. I know you're 
going to end soon, but where's the content? Um, we are going to do something a little bit special because it's been noted that over the course of the last couple of weeks, people have sent in some lovely emails in response to the news of our imminent demise. And um, we'll come to them a little bit later on. But quite a lot of you have said that they started listening at SPN number 160, 200, some since the very beginning. But there is a contributor to this podcast who, of course, is um, his absence is felt in Mr. Andy Hinchcliffe, who for about 200 of the 270 odd episodes we've had so far produced soccer stories. And there will be those who did join a little late uh, that haven't gone back to listen to all the episodes. I mean, why ever not is my immediate, immediate question. My second question is, do you know what you're missing? Because the answer to that would be a lot of hilarious tales told by our former England international. So we're going to give you a little soupçon of those curated by our archivist, Stephen Wyeth. Um, so that, that's to come. And, and we also just wanted as well, because he hasn't been around for a little while now, because of reasons that we uh, have discussed and told you about over the turn of the year, uh, when things were inescapably difficult for Chinch and his family. We wanted to, at least in one of our final episodes, just reflect upon the man, the myth, the legend. Um, but we couldn't get Chris Powell, so we uh, got somebody with just one more England cap, and that is uh, Andy Hinchcliffe. So for just a couple of minutes, we wanted to say how much of an honour it has to be uh, in his company, to share his airtime and to appreciate, and I think hopefully the listeners have appreciated this too, just how many layers a footballer slash former footballer can have and provide to us in the form of hot soccer podcast content. I remember when we hired Chinch and... <laughs> the backroom uh, deals. Yeah, I didn't think, you know, obviously we, we, we held auditions you know, and a lot of former Don Goodman turned up, but it was just too polished. And, you know, a variety of other um, minor former Premier League players decided that they wanted the profile that we could offer. And I didn't think Chinch would be, proved to be quite as kind of in-depth, as, as, as complex a character as he, as he did. But I think that the, yeah, like I've got to know Chinch a lot better through his soccer stories and through his contributions to this podcast. Um because you two have always been closer to him than I was. Um, and I think that that's, yeah, he's kind of, he's peeled himself away. He's actually been very, I've always kind of appreciated how open he is. Does he, more than the rest of us, has got reason to be quite kind of cautious with the size to himself that he projects to the public? But he's always been very open and very honest, and, and obviously like, everyone loves him for his self-deprecating kind of nature. Um but the fact that he's been prepared to bear his soul quite so often and quite so readily, I think speaks volumes for him as a person, especially given that he wasn't even appearing on Jake Humphrey's high performance to do it. Some people have asked me over the course of the last few weeks and months about replacing Chinch. Who is going to replace Chinch on the podcast? And I have always explained that that would be impossible. He's one of a kind in terms of not only being our friend, but his outlook as a former footballer, I don't think is matched by anyone else who's played the game that I've got to know. The, the fact that he will bear his soul with these soccer stories, find humour from being left out of the England World Cup squad, knock us sideways with 
a tale about his retirement that we just weren't expecting or see the humour in career-ending injuries just constantly amazed me. And, and I don't think anyone else could have, who, who had the, the, the sort of career that he had, would be able to, to detach himself from that to the extent that he was able to, to review it through s- such an, an offbeat, off-key, humorous, engaging, loving and warm kaleidoscope. Because so many professional athletes, quite rightly, take themselves incredibly seriously. They deserve to. They strive so hard to, to achieve what they achieved. And, and, and for that and in that, Chinch is, was, always will be one of a kind. But don't you think, it, it, I mean, kind of what, what sums Chinch up is that he's simultaneously the person who can find these kind of really insightful stories, but also is quite happy to do an impression of Jack Reacher and and genuinely cannot cook anything at all for himself. <laughs> There's just so many sides to him. He's, he's both apt and inept in wonderful <laughs> ways. Um, but those layers, you're right, that have been peeled back over the years on this podcast, um, uh, Rory, they, they, are, they are many. They are varied, and so were the soccer stories that he told uh, to perhaps reflect that. So here come, not necessarily the best of, but some of the best reflections of uh, the soccer stories. And we start with Howard Kendall, um, who was something of a career nemesis for our chinch. He sold him twice. So he was a star of Andy's soccer stories. Okay, is it over to me now, is it? This is, a, this, is a, this is a belter, this one. Howard Kendall again. You can't be Howard Kendall, can you? Pre-season tour. So we've done all our hard work. We've done maybe two weeks training back at, uh, at, uh, at Everton. So we think, right, we're going to go out to Switzerland. We went to, to train. We're going to play some games, four or five matches. We're going to be out there for about 10 days or so. so this is pre-season, remember, not end of season, pre-season. So we're out there for a couple of days. I think it gets to like a, a Friday night. We have a game. It gets to about half past 10. So we get back to the hotel. <laughs> Howard says, uh, right, put on your glad rags, we're going out. So everybody goes trooping off out. There's a couple of players, myself included, who think, this is, mm, not sure this is a very good idea, to be honest. So we decide to stay behind. So everybody else, in the morning, we all meet down for breakfast. There's not too many people showing up because they've been out for a few beers and, and what have you. So myself, I think I can mention Pat Nevin. Pat's a, a lovely chap. So myself and Pat Nevin are having some muesli having our decaffeinated coffee in the, in the morning. Howard Kendall comes into the, uh, the breakfast room and says, uh, where, where were you two last night? Thinking this is a bit of a test, it's a bit of a challenge. We said, well, we were, we were in bed after the game. You know, we did a few stretches and then uh, we went to bed. He fined us <laughs> for staying in. Seriously, fined us for staying in on a Quite pre-season right. tour. Quite right too. What, teams don't fall into the f- team spirit. You were under strict instructions. We weren't. It was kind of a loose arrangement where everyone was going out. So you say. But Pat and myself, maybe that's what made us the, the great pros we were. Fine for staying in on a pre-season tour. Can you believe that? Extraordinary. How much? I, I don't want to talk about the, the £150 we had to uh, pay each. But I don't know where that money went. Yeah, well, I've got a very what, good idea. What was that money, yeah? Mm. Behind the bar? We didn't drink. What? Was it, would, it, would it have been behind the bar? Some bar somewhere. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, getting, I think that's quite unusual. I don't think too many modern players would be fine for Wouldn't staying in on a pre-season tour. Being too well behaved. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never mind Jack and Ori, what a soccer story. This is an Andy Tells playing days with all that behaviour live where the details are moved. We talk a lot about preparation these days and 
But going back, say, the mid-90s or even before, no, probably mid-90s onwards, when Howard Kendall was at Everton, then Joe Royal came in, even the naming of a team, how much that has changed of when a team is named. Because now the preparation during, the, say you're playing on a, on a Saturday, the preparation during the week, the players know exactly, or most teams know exactly what the structure is going to be, who's going to be in the team come a Saturday. Howard Kendall was completely, now this must have been presumably how he ran things with that great team he had at Everton in the mid-80s when mid-80s, they were yeah. won leagues and, and everything in, in Europe. He basically didn't, I find still some, some managed to, uh, managers today do this. They name a team at two o'clock for a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday, which I feel is really unusual because you trained all week. Players are still in the dark about where they're going to be in the team. And on, so on a Saturday, Howard would definitely do that. He'd pick a team at two o'clock while you all met together before the game. Partly was to maybe if people were angry, he'd say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll speak to you on Monday morning. Mm. And it kind of diffused any kind of anger that those players might have. But what you said on a midweek game, we used to, if we're at home at Goodison, we used to go to a hotel for the afternoon, so have something to eat, have a sleep. And then we'd all kind of troop onto the coach, say quarter to eight kickoff, we'd be getting on the coach, say about six o'clock to travel over to Goodison. And Howard, coaches, you kind of go up the steps, don't you, to climb up onto the coach. And Howard, That's how coaches work. Yes, but they're not, they're, not one, they're not like a bus on one level where you, just, you have to climb up. They're not like an airport bus, no. 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 So Howard always sit on that first seat. He always used to be, I bet he got there about five o'clock, and he used to sit <laughs> in the first seat. So as you arrived on the coach, basically he'd say, as you walked onto the coach, you're playing left back. Or when I walked right? onto the coach, you're in the stands today. And have a little <laughs> chuckle. Or you're on the bench next to me today. As the players were walking, and that again, he did it so late in the day, yeah. you're on a coach, you couldn't really react if you weren't in the team or not. But it's just the difference again. That is presumably how he must have done it back in the day. And he probably didn't change his team an awful mm. lot. So it didn't really cause too many problems because his strongest starting eleven was going to play every game. But with bigger squads, mm. you're upsetting more and more people. And he was, again, managing when squads started to get bigger and players started to ask questions of coaches. And presumably, Presumably, he thought, well, I'm going to carry on doing this because I don't want people starting to ask me questions about why I'm not. That can cause a lot of problems in the dressing room. So I'm sure he'll say it's just the way that I did it. We can't really ask him. No, we can't. No, There's no way no, he can answer. No. But that is, but walking up onto a cut and you were kind of dreading that walk from the leaving the hotel to that first step onto the bus, you knew I'm going to be in the team. I'm going to be on the bench. Or there's going to be a little giggle. You're in the stands today. Or he'd say something just to try and defuse the situation. Yeah. So 20-odd players would troop on. And that's when you found out whether you were playing or not as you trooped onto the coach. That's I can't remarkable. See. It is. But again, Joe, when Joe came in and changed the, the, the training, the style of training, the professionalism, when people were told, the well, this is the team. This is what we're going to practice on a, on a Friday. You knew exactly. So there was no doubts. Mm. And he would say, any problems, come and speak to me and we'll, we'll talk it through. Early in 2017, so this was one of the earliest soccer stories, uh, Chinch told us a tale from his his days at Everton about his then-captain, which I think was probably the moment where he really found his soccer story rhythm. Oh, this is a belter. He'll like, actually like this He's one. He's setting right? himself so up there for something get, I, of a fall. I moved to Everton in 1990, so this must have been 93, 94, possibly. Kevin Ratcliffe. The, uh, the fantastic Everton captain. Uh, we're at the old training ground. They've got Finch Farm now, Everton, this brilliant training. Belfield was the old Everton training. I don't know if you remember that. You've been there. Um, and what we used to do, what used to happen, I don't know whether you have it in, in the... It's very posh areas of Manchester, you all live. Is it, do you have the guy with the fish... The, it says the, the guy who lives fan. in Cheshire and has done... Bramall on. is not that posh. <laughs> it's it's we Cheshire. We have a guy who he has like a fish. He used to live on a farm. Yes, that's not the point of the story though, is it? Like a guy with a fish yeah. van who goes around with fresh fish. Do you get that round here at all? No, but... Did you know, do you do you know the fi- concept? Do you mean a fishmonger? 
No, a fishmonger has a shop. No, 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 this no, is like a mobile yeah, man who mobile goes around taking the fish out to the public. My granddad yeah, he, yes. he comes down our road. Br- does he come yeah. down your road? Bringing yes. the fish to the public. The fish, my yes. granddad was a, fi- a mobile fishmonger. A mobile fishmonger. Yeah, he, he was a fishmonger who worked from a van, and <laughs> uh, we had a fish a fish man uh, when I was growing up. Doesn't is this the same one that played football? Yeah. All oh, right. So hey, that's what he did. That was his post-football career. <laughs> so there you go, Chinch, So anyway, wrong, we yeah. know what I'm talking about here. Yeah. A guy in a fish van. It's not a so, typical concept. He used to come to the training ground. No, it's not. I don't know whether you have it around here. <laughs> Stop sniggering. So Kevin Rackless placed an order with the fish man because he's having a bit of a dinner party. The so mobile fishmonger. The mobile fishmonger, yes. Fish man. So in Everton those days as well the old training room used to have like a, a changing room and then like a, a shower one of those big baths you know that are banned I think they're banned now aren't they you can't have these big baths where all the players can get in you're looking at me rather strangely but why would they ban them because to do with body fluids and uh, blood and things like that you can't all Best not dwell bathe on that. together Rim. but they had these giant giant baths that used to fill up in the morning it took about five hours to fill up and people used to get washed and stuff in these big baths it's, it's a bit weird anyway so that's how it used to be so this is after training. So all the some of the lads are in the in the uh, in the bath, getting ready, getting showered and changed and, and washed and everything. Kevin Ratcliffe goes out to the fish man, picks up his order on a tray, comes back into the training ground, comes through the change rooms into the um, into the shower and washing area, and he then throws six live lobsters <laughs> into <laughs> the bath with the players. You have never seen players bars of soap. Head and shoulders shampoo bottles. It was carnage. The water was thrashed to a foam as players like Mo Johnston would act. They thought they were going to die. But it's the, the way that Ke- it just walked. I, I, I wasn't in the I was just in the dressing room. And he kind of walked past with his tray. And I'm thinking, what? He walks in and he just basically stood there. And he did make a big show of it. Just basically went, hoi. And just threw six big live lobsters into the bath full of very well-paid professional footballers. And to see them fighting over each other, drowning each other to get out before the lobsters got hold of their, um, their wherewithals was one of, the, it's one of the crowning moments of my career, one of the funniest things I have ever seen. But the way he did it was just genius. It was perhaps inevitable that having been managed by Ron Atkinson, that uh, Big Ron would find his way into Andy's soccer stories. It's including one which became a regular SPM reference point. I was at Everton, doing, really? a, doing a damn fine job at Everton. Yes. But Sheffield Wednesday, Ron Atkinson, he, he knew his stuff, Ron. And he was willing to pay me £3 million for my services. Three, three million, million pounds. pounds. How much would that be worth these days? Three million pounds. <laughs> so. so I got invited to uh, Ron's house to discuss terms. That's weird. It's not really, is it? Is that I didn't have they, an agent, you see. I is that how they used to do it? Back in the day. Back in the day. They did it in service stations, didn't they? But, and I was, a bit, I was a bit unsure about how this, uh, this meet... Because I've never been to a manager's house. I've been to tell my own manager's house. house. Tell, tell me about his house. It was awesome. I would, I would this is Sutton Coldfield. I'm not going to the address. I won't give you the address or postcode. But it was, uh, what he used to do as well, he had like a, like a, um, a balcony or a decking area uh, with a, a bag of golf clubs. And there was like a, a, a forest or like a wood at the bottom of his garden. And he just used to tank golf balls. <laughs> Like they do off in movies set in Los Angeles. Yeah, what do you do? But I used to like doing it. So anyway, that's that's not the story. That's not the story. Because I am a big fan of chocolate bars, as you well know. So turn up at Ron's pad. Uh, we go into his massive living room with his massive television. So we're having a chat about the deal, you know, cash and that type of thing, length of contract, all that type of thing. And I hadn't seen uh, Mrs. Atkinson 
anywhere on the premises up to this point. So Ron and I are chatting on the leather chaise long and uh, separate ones, not together. <laughs> and then the door opens. Is everybody your grapes? From uh, yes. The door opens and I have never seen a plate of Kit Kats as big as the one Mrs. Atkinson brought. How many people she thought she was catering for? It was, it was a pile. A pile. It wasn't as if she just got a pack of Kit Kats and opened them and put them on a plate. It talking, was mountainous. Are we talking two finger or four? It might have been both. But it, she came staggering under the weight of Kit Kats. <laughs> was it higher than a Ferrero Rocher It was tower? how it, it must have been glued. There's no way. There's no way. <laughs> so it was a structure underneath and she just glued one. Her, she had a gold lame cat suit on with this big... And I thought, oh, my Christmas is come once here. You're Sorry bearing for, the lead there. Gold lame cat suit. Gold lame cat suit. She looked absolutely... It was extraordinary, this plate of Kit Kats. And I would have, I would have just signed there and then, wouldn't I? Just give me the Kit Kats and I'll sign for you. But then, he, it was, I think it was a Sunday that I was chatting to him and there was um i think there was a spanish game on or go- going to be coming on in about 10 or 15 minutes so we're chatting away for about an hour and i'm thinking he's you know it's because he's great and he said um you'll have to go now because there's a there's a game coming on and i went ha good one ron thinking you want more of the chinch don't you and he went, <laughs> no seriously you're gonna have to go now because there's a and it was like osasuna against some other getafe or someone who cares about that when you're talking to me but he uh, got bundled out of his house so he could watch a spanish did, football match did you get to take a kit kat no I'd get, i felt bad i couldn't take him with me couldn't fill my pockets with kit kats <laughs> <laughs> melted they melted so you were discussing this contract what 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 happened if you had to leave did you actually get a well the discussions were made but there was deadline day was approaching <gasps> So was Jim White wearing a golden tie? He always wears a golden tie, even when he's in the bath. <laughs> he was narrating this moment. Yes, from the I can hear his Ron voice. Atkinson's I can hear his voice. Did I sign? Did I not sign? <laughs> so next time I host set piece menu, it's just a big tray of Kit Kats and a pot of tea in the middle of the table. Now you may or may not be aware that Chinch played for England um, no fewer than seven times. However, there's an important piece of information, a new information to many, I'd imagine. However, his international experiences were about as illustrious as they were brief. But who cares about his disappointments when it provides soccer story gold? Well, this is a story from my international soccer days. Well, there's so yes. many. <laughs> so many, so many. career. Well, it was such a shame. The 98 World Cup in France. We all had a bit of a get-together in La Manga. I don't really remember this. This was the Paul Gascoigne got quite upset about being left out of the squad story. But this is a story... Aside from that story, so I got le- amazingly, I got left out of the squad for uh, for France 1998. Along the with history oh, of English football oh, could be so different, couldn't Dion it? Dion Dublin, where's he now? Uh, <laughs> Ian Walker. He does under the hammer. I know he does. It was oh. inherent in the sarcasm yes, with which he posed that. Do you, do, not, do you not? Have a, are you not upset that the history has done a lot better than yours? Anyway, let's move on. Ian Walker <laughs> and his beautiful hair. Yeah. Phil Neville was left out. And his beautiful hair. And his beautiful hair. Gaza was left out. There was other people as well, but me. It was a travesty. That was, that was that was the, the main that, story. Yeah, that was the, the one that was, was on the, the back page. Yeah. Yeah. So Glenn Hoddle gives you the bad news, blah de blah. So you, you go out and there's. How did uh, he do it? How did he do it? Well, he, he had a room, which he obviously. Which, 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 did you go in uh, after after Gaza? Or the worst Gaza? thing was he had a flip chart with all the names of, of people going to so twelve o'clock David Seaman, five past twelve Nicky Butt, ten past twelve. The problem is sometimes it took longer than five minutes to to get because people were unhappy weren't they so they wanted an explanation of maybe why they weren't going so I remember coming out after being told I wasn't going and there was about three players sitting out mm. in the corridor and I think it's meant to be done so it wouldn't be embarrassing so if you got left out you could basically just go back to your room and they'll yeah. be playing later on and you go but you kind of and people say you're going no I'm going home and stuff and it got it was just terrible the way it was organised <laughs> And, and Gaza got very upset, but he had been drinking, I think, as well. But this is not the, so anyway, they lay on a private jet for us to fly home 
It was the least they could <laughs> the do. The least Chief. they could do. Least they could do. So but we all, all get pe- ferried. All the people who had left, left out, out. in so one private jet. But there must have been eight or ten of us, I think, left out of the final squad. Must have been. So we all get ferried to the airport. So obviously the team was staying on, the squad was staying on that we were going to go. So we arrive at the airport, private jet. Gaza had had a few to drink and probably had had a few more after being told he wasn't going. So we all get onto the plane and we're all... I was upset. I wasn't like Phil Neville and crying, but I was, I was upset. <laughs> it's a true story. True story. I was upset. Has he told you that story as well? Anyway, I'm sure I've verified it. Yes. So we, we get on the plane, the plane takes off and we get to our cruising altitude. And the next thing I see looking back, there's only a small plane, maybe two seats either side. So I look back and Gaza would be, had been sat at the back. For some reason, he'd taken his top off. And then there was, I think, two stewardesses who were serving all, were starting to serve all the nibbles. And Gaza said, "No, no, 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 not having any of this." And he made the stewardesses sit down, and then he proceeded to serve the in-flight meal <laughs> with his top, is his top off. That's what I, I found. Everything else perfectly acceptable. Why did the man take his top off? But he was serving all these volivants and stuff, and he made, which was brilliant. It is quite nice, isn't it? But he, he was a little bit tipsy. So the private, it, well, I still quite enjoyed it in a way. Being left out of the squad was a bit disappointing, but the flight home was wonderful, wasn't it? You don't get that very often, do you? Get what, a topless Gaza serving topless your Topless Gaza serving your volivants on no. the way home. And then landed at, uh, at wherever it was, Gatwick, and everything, whisked away, and I was home before you know it. Topless Gaza's volivants is a great name for a racehorse. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> or an autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a very sad flight home. Very sad. Did, Phil, did, Phil Neville cried. He was upset. How did Dion Dublin take it? I bet Dion was all right. He was reading a book about estate agents. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, he didn't seem particularly concerned. Not particularly concerned. I like Dion. I like Dion a lot. Yeah. Uh, never mind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Well, we've been talking about England, so I think only right I have a little England story. It's not a major story. It's just Glenn Hoddle was... Exactly. I'm sure I told a story of when I was I was injured. I'd done my crucial ligaments, but I came. All your stories start with I was injured, and I got called up for the England squad. I travelled to when we drew nil nil in Italy to qualify for right, the yep. is it the 1998 World, World Cup, and I was just part of the, the How squad. How many World Cups do you think you were part of qualifying for? <laughs> <I'll>, <laughs> 19... <laughs> only 1998! Damn! Why did you pull Oh, I thought it was a lot better than I was. Anyway, anyway, anyway. He had me do... I think I told he was he was on in one half of the pitch and I was in, and he was working on my right foot That's and he was right. trying to get oh, me to pass the ball. Yeah. Well, this was a training session at Bisham Abbey where, um, for some strange reason, he, he was doing shooting practice, which is, is fine. You know, I'm a left back. I only have a left foot. He started, again, because he could do it, lay the ball off and try and bend it in the top corner with your right foot against David James. I'm like, have you ever seen... Do you know where I play? So shooting sessions normally middle of goal, you roll the ball into it, who lays it to your strongest foot and you just smash it over the bar and you go back to the back of the queue again. You're not expected to do and but they say, No, well, I'm gonna play it on your right what oh can't you just bend this one in? I can't kick it, Glenn. Never mind shoot put power, precision, I can't do any of that. Do you not realise? But he, again, it was so annoying and every time you played it into whoever's laying on would throw it onto your right foot. But when, when is that going to be relevant in my game? I'm going to be on the edge of the opposition box, unless it's a free kick, to try and bend the ball into the top corner with a foot I only stand on. So I know he was trying to improve me, but he's wasting his time. But why would he have a left-back like me shooting with his right foot? Answer me that. Now, we've said many times that Chinch is and was the antithesis to a typical footballer. In fact, I think you know we're all slightly baffled that he ever made it as a professional. 
But he did his best to fit in, to be fair to him, by making a series of dreadful status and fashion purchases. How about this for alliteration? <laughs> Fullback falls foul of footballing fashion. The only time in my career I ever thought, I play for England, I can play a little bit. Do you know what I'm going to do today against Arsenal? I'm going to wear white boots. <laughs> white boots, I put. No, this is the, the story. In the 1980s? <laughs> no, this was the game when De Canio. Do you remember oh. De Canio pushing the referee over? Mm. Mm. So, when was it? 1998? 89? Something like that. check for all those people who are pedants? Paul Olcott was, yeah. was pushed over. The only game I ever wore anything other than black football boots was right? in this game. I, I, why I did it, I don't know. But I put white boots on. And we actually beat Arsenal. Lee Briscoe scored a brilliant goal. But Arsenal was that great Arsenal team. On was Henri was in there. But the story is myself and Emmanuel Petit mm. wearing white boots and playing with a white ball. That ball got played to me. One of the few times in my career that I've com- completely done an air shot and completely missed the ball. And I'm convinced it's because I didn't know where my foot ended <laughs> and the ball started <laughs> because I had white. I'm genuinely. It never happened in any other occasion. I went to kick the ball. Emmanuel Petit was closing me down with his ponytail flowing. And I went to kick and completely missed the ball. And then had to run and retrieve it and then just put it out for a throw-in. What would Emmanuel Petit have thought of me? What a foolish... He can't even kick the ball properly, but it's because I couldn't see where the end of my boot was and where the ball (laughs) started. That was my excuse for missing the ball Did that stop you wearing white boots in the future? Yes, I threw them away immediately after that. I couldn't wear them again. It's too embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I wasn't good enough to wear white boots. You know, certain players, I know all players wear colour boots, but you have to be a certain type of player. And I, I must have thought, you know what, I'm going to stick the old white boots on today because I can play a bit. I couldn't even kick the ball properly. I bet Vim Yonk was laughing at you, wasn't he? Oh, Vim. He was such a fun guy. <laughs> <laughs> such a disposable culture these footballers have, though, isn't it? No, no, oh, no, those throws didn't away. work for me today. I might not have thrown them, them away. The Last them on have, eBay. I might have given them... Given, no, I don't think eBay... Did eBay exist? Yes, it would have done. Um, no, I wouldn't have done that. Who would have bought them? eBay would not eBay, eBay would did not, not exist then, this during your football career. This is the 26th of September, 1998, uh, according no to eBay. Wikipedia. But yeah, the only time, and that was the game that... Uh, because that would have been a big story from that match. Myself in white boots missing <laughs> yeah. the ball. Yeah. If Paolo... But then when we went into the dressing room after the game and we sat down with Paolo and he said, um, do you think I'll get punished for this? <laughs> so Paolo, in the English game, no one has ever laid hands, let alone push a referee to the floor. And he said, oh, they'll probably give me a couple of games. 11-game ban he got. <laughs> Did he really... He wasn't sure if he'd get punished. We sat in the dressing room and he just said, how bad is this? Do you think I'll get back? Do you think you'll get banned? You pushed the referee. He said, yeah, but in Italy, it's just... It's fine. You Did know, he apologise? No. He came and trained separately to us and then he left for West Ham. He never played for Wednesday again. Yeah, he was convinced that, you know... Push the referee over, but he, he pretty much deserved it. Yeah, but you can't do that, Paolo. <laughs> did, did, you, did, you say, did you thank him personally, though, for, for distracting everybody said, from your white boot nightmare? And he said, well, at least it, uh, he took everyone's minds off your white boots when Emmanuel Petit closed you down and you missed the ball completely. Equally, you never saw Andy Hinsliff push over a, refer- a referee, did <laughs> that you? That is true. That is true. I treated official them very, Limited very talent. Well indeed. Very much a gentleman. Yes. Mm. <laughs> the, the story of Andy Hinchcliffe, that is his book title. Yeah. <laughs> when a player moves clubs... And I went from Man City to Everton and the big money starts rolling in, you know, the big money, serious money. What does a player, the two things a player normally does, they move house and they go and buy a nicer car. So I, I did this, but in my own way, looking back, why did I buy this car? I went up to Bolton and bought a BMW 3 Series Estate in red, <laughs> but with Very sensible the most car. sumptuous alloy wheels on this car. That was the main reason I bought it. And this is the stories about the alloy wheels. 
So again, it's not really a Ferrari. It's not really a Bentley. That was me thinking, I've made it here. I've moved on. I'm earning. So, oh, so I got this car. Got it literally the first day. Picked it up. Drove it home. This is when I was with the first Mrs. Okay. H. No, I think it was a bank transfer. Because <laughs> um, I didn't work like that, Stephen. I didn't work back, like that. Bank transfer, everybody. No yeah, I think cash. It was, yeah, it was. Back in the, yeah, did we have them back then? Yes, I think we did. What so cash? Got yeah. this car home. Got my new house in Timpley, newly built house in Timpley, part of an estate. I didn't get it built myself. And park it up outside, literally outside the bedroom windows, even though the bedroom windows were on the first floor. It was still technically... It's outside the lounge, but our bedroom was above the lounge. So the car is parked outside, not in a garage, not in a gated community, just parked not on the street because it was a cul-de-sac, but the lovely car, bright red, brand new. At which point did we cross the threshold of too much information? Because <laughs> he's telling the story. Okay, fine. So... As in bed with Mrs. H, just sleeping, and go to bed. <laughs> Sign of a failed marriage, that. Go to bed, do a few sit-ups, go to bed about half ten, <laughs> and then there's a knock at the door at about five o'clock in the morning, and I think, oh my God, the house is on fire. Something's like, go streaking downstairs, open the front door, and the guy says, your car. And I thought, oh my God, someone's stolen the car. They hadn't stolen the car. They'd bricked the car up and stolen the alloy wheels. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Seriously. In Timperley. In Timperley, the first night I had this car back, got and it was and there was people walking their dogs. It was like a, a track past, like a um, like a canally thing, and there was people stopping and taking photographs <laughs> of the car. Up, it's hilarious, isn't it? But not for me. I couldn't get to work. But the car underneath the window, how quiet had they been to take the? It had locking wheel nuts. <laughs> how did they get? How did they do that? How do they do that, I these criminals? Know, we would never repeat it because clearly that would but be was, something that could oh, be aped or imitated. Brand new car. You just want to I'll get up in the morning and it be there and be able to drive it. I couldn't drive it. It had no wheels. What was the most footballery car you owned as a footballer? This might be another story that I do later on. It was an electric blue Jaguar XKR with ivory interior. Oh, that sounds awful. But the problem was I had to drive it over the Woodhead Pass, which is between Manchester and Sheffield when I was at Sheffield. So if you're behind the lorries that are naturally on the Woodhead Pass, the front of this brand new beautiful Jaguar XKR was pockmarked to hell. (laughs) Why did I buy a car like that for that journey? Chinch, you're not somebody who's particularly aware of consequences for your actions. I am. I would suggest that that might have been one of those lessons. Did you read the the Peter Crouch interview? You you were in Indonesia? Where Crouch tells this story of of buying a really sort of footballery car, mm. and then thinking thinking he was when he was at Liverpool and thinking he was kind of the the big I am and pulling up next to Roy Keane at a traffic light and sort of <laughs> winking at him and smiling <laughs> from this supercar, and Roy Keane just looking at looking giving Crouch this withering look as if to say no, and that that put and Crouch said that he realised that he'd become one of those and oh. sold the car within a week. What car was it? Do you, do you remember? Was it Jaguar XK? Was it a BMW 3 Series in bright red with no alloys on it? <laughs> One of the reasons that we enjoyed Chinch's soccer stories over the years is that they weren't all light. The shade was there in plentiful supply as well. No better demonstrated by this story about the circumstances that led to the end of his illustrious one-and-a-half trophy career. It's a poignant story about my retirement you can you can go ah that, now sorry, if you want one, to. Two, three, ah. Three, so having played a, a pivotal 17 minutes against Crew Alexandra to come off with an injury, um, had surgery. This was in 2002, January 2002. Had surgery. They told me the damage that had been done. And everyone talks about you know players saying the moment you realise that 
it's going to stop. Either you get too old or too fat, or you get an injury. I had both. That you have to, that you're told basically, and that when the, the, you don't know what you've done, the surgeon opens you up, tells you after he comes in after the surgery and says, "This is what we've done. You've got a problem with your femur. A big piece of bones come off. We can do microfracturing." No, there's no joke in that. You can't. That's not an autograph. Um, and well, they get gas out of the ground. No, that's fracking. Right. I don't think I was suitable for fracking. But anyway, I was certainly big enough. They could have fracked. I don't know. Yeah, you're from the northwest, and you're, you're quite rocky. Yeah, so this is, they, they tended to, there's stuff they can do. When you're younger, they tend to do this, which hopefully gives you a chance. But I was 32. And it's kind of that realisation that it's, that's it. And I had, I think, a year or so left on my... Con- so basically, it was a question of me getting back on my feet so I could retire. But then... So it's being in that room once the surgeon's come in and said, this is what it is. The mic, we can do this. And I'm kind of thinking, okay, okay. And he basically is telling you, if you carry on, you're going to need knee replacement. So you know that's it. And when you're left on your own, it is... It is it's, I'm not going to cry because I'm not a crier. But it was upsetting. But then the way... Because I had to go back to Sheffield Wednesday and kind of wean myself off playing, get myself fit again, but kind of a day by day, distance yourself from football and the rest of the play. Because you have to do, because mentally, you're not going to get back in this. People say, oh, you know, it'd be great to have you back in a year. So you know it's not going to happen. And you're actually mentally and physically distancing yourself from people that you've known really well, a lot of the young players that you've spent a lot of time with and hopefully helped along the way. And it's it's really... It's really diff- it is really difficult because normally maybe if you finish have an injury, your contract ends, that's it. You're in one day, you're out the next. But I had a period of time where you kind of you kind of at the club, but you're not really you know you're not going to contribute. And it's just a question of just getting yourself. And you have to be selfish and say, right, I need to get myself fixed. I need to be able to live my life. But knowing that you're never going to put a shirt on again or stick your boots on again. And I always I always thought when I was playing that when that day came, it it wouldn't bother me. But actually, it. It's easy to think, well, this is how I'm going to feel when this happens. But it's not, it's not that straightforward. But it was that length of time, that year, where I had to kind of slowly separate myself from, from people that you knew really well was, was difficult. So it wasn't actually leaving the club the day you don't go into a football club mm. after 16, 17 years. It wasn't the hardest thing. It was being there and actually slowly just working your way out, which was, I don't know whether it happens to a lot of players when they retire. I don't think it maybe works that way. So it was... It was it was it was difficult, and I felt again you're letting people down, but you've got to go through this because you, you for yourself you, you've got to get yourself right, and they owe you because you're injured playing for the club. They want to get you back on your feet. The physios are doing their job, but you know you know it's only going to end in one way. And I don't know, it's just really it was, for me it was really sad, and maybe it, it struck me harder than I ever thought it would do when I first started playing. I thought it's a job. When it ends, it's like anything. That's it. But it, it wasn't quite like that. Uh, so that would have been a brilliant podcast that he's just wasted, isn't it? Do you not know that how this works? <laughs> Sorry, you, what? you tell a soccer story, yeah. and then we take the mick out of you. If you do is a tear jerker, you want to, it's not, no, but it's this is I, this is what I bring. The, that this was the soccer story equivalent of beaches. With this Bette is Midler. what I bring. <laughs> Listen, it's light and shade. I'm not going to do the Howard Kendall stories all the time. I can't do that. I've got to give you bring back stories from from the heart. Chinch, less your last game because of. Some horrific mm. injury, yeah. more lobsters being thrown into the bar. So that was a bad soccer story, was it? It was a great, it was a great bit of content. Yeah, but we could have got at least an hour out of it. Just really? a waste. Yeah. Why? How? Chinch, Just by not, letting you talk for longer. Oh. We're not after like we don't want soccer story Oscars. We want the big blockbusters. Yeah. But you said you liked that we little the insight. You needed to pull the curtain back, and you and did pull the curtain back. I did, didn't I? And it was harrowing. Was it? <laughs> were you were you getting a bit? I was harrowed. You, you, were you harrowed? Yeah. Like a field? Did they that's, get harrowed? No. That's... Just don't they get harrowed before the seeds go in? Anyway, I think we're getting off the topic. But it was a furrowed. That's furrowed. Isn't no, it? I think you can have. 
a harrow is a thing that attracts a dragon. Hugh, do, do the bit. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> but I, personally, <laughs> how many pods have we done? This is 125. Right. To me, that was showing more of myself in a good way yeah. than maybe... Not in the way that you get arrested Not in the way for. that I normally do. Good, I think that's a good thing. Is it a, was that no, a bad one? No, no, it was a, good, it was a oh, brilliant no, bit of insight into you. Excellent. It was just quite, it's quite a sad way to start the week. <laughs> oh, I, I've not really ne- thought I'm about now, the whole picture, the bigger I'm, picture here. I'm now quite I? sad. How bad do we all look if we rinse you off the back of that yeah, summer exactly. story? Which, which, which of course, hasn't happened and won't happen. Uh, if you'd like to hear more of that ch- tear-jerking <laughs> content from Chinch, <laughs> episode number 111 is all about if I, retirement. If, I, if, I, if I'm going to do a story like that, you want kind of... Is it the Simon Bates music? <laughs> do, 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 do. do you want some of that music? If it's going to be a poignant... If we do that, I need to let you know. Because I've caught you out there. You probably thought it was going to be a hilarious... Banter. But banter so it's going to be at least but four I, naked but that's, but that's what makes this podcast so special. It is. And Ginger, it was moving. You, you don't get that from John Hartson. You really don't get that from John Hartson. Mm. Next week, I look forward to a story about Chinch's parents' death. <laughs> Chinch's early years at Manchester City were also a rich vein of soccer story content, not least as they uh, date back to the years before football was properly invented, which was, of course, in 1992. And the sport did not take itself nearly as seriously as it does now. Not to put you under pressure, but I yeah. know from the feedback we've yes. had uh, on Twitter, really? at Set Piece Menu, they like the story. M- most people only tune in for this bit. Really? Yeah. They, they fast-forwarded through the last <laughs> you 25 can't blame them, though. So so This has got to be good, Chin. Right, this is what, right, back in the, I joined City, what, 85, 86. Um, so Main Road was still in existence. Uh, Roy Bailey was the, was the fizzy bin at City for forever, and he'd, he'd been there for maybe, what, 20-odd years. And everybody, all the new apprentices, when they joined Man City, there was kind of these these little games that the, that Roy would play with them. He'd send them for a long, you know, up to the offices, to the to the secretaries, or go go up there and ask for a long stand. Go to the shop down the road and get some tartan paint. You know, these things that you do when new recruits come <laughs> into a club. So, but Roy always had this really special. He'd, he'd pick out a player who he thought was a little bit kind of full of themselves. Only sixteen, seventeen. It wasn't me, obviously. I wouldn't get. I wouldn't fall for shrinking like violet. This. Yeah. So he'd always pick on and say, well, "We always do this. What we we've got this this test." Now I'm mid forties. You're 17, 18 years old. I'm going to challenge you to a race around the pitch at Main Road. What's going to happen is we start at the same point, but before we start racing, you have to drink a pint of water. I can set off before your lips touch the glass. And you've got to drink the pint of water, catch me up and beat me. So it's a one lap race that we basically have. I'm 45, you're 17, you should be fitter than me. And everyone was in on this, knew what was going to be happening. So all the other players just say, oh, it's difficult. You drink a pint of water, it sits on your stomach. You, you struggle to get going, you feel sick and all this. So they're laying this on, laying this on. So you see this young kid thinking about it. And then eventually Roy will say, yeah, do you fancy the challenge? The kid say, yeah, go on then. And Roy said, well, do you want to make it interesting? Make it 20 quid, 50 quid? So the young player will think, I mean, he's an old guy, but surely it's going to drink. How hard is it going to be? Okay, 50 quid. We'll have, a, we'll have a bet on it for 50 quid. So after training one day, we'd all gather around the pitch. All the, even the management were there. Billy Mann, everybody was there because he knew what was going to happen here. So he'd have this young kid doing his warm-ups. Roy Bailey out there as well, all dressed up, ready to run. They stand side by side on the halfway line so they can do a lap of the pitch. So Roy says, okay, we, we're ready to go now. So somebody be ready with the water to, to bring in. So the gun goes so Roy Bailey can set off. The water comes in and it's a pint of boiling water. <laughs> <laughs> now, brilliant, because none of this has ever been mentioned. So you can see this young kid, 16, 17, given this pint. The funniest thing I ever saw, I'm sure it was John Bookbinder that did He tried to drink it. <laughs> so Roy Bailey had set off, running backwards, waving, doing all the usual stuff. He knew what was happening here. But this poor kid, I think it was John, was trying to drink a pint of boiling He said, no, no, stop the point. You can't do it. This is the joke. And he was <laughs> nearly burning himself to try and get this pint of water. But he 
he did it year in and year out. So the next year, obviously, the, the first year apprentices will become second year apprentices. A new wave of kids would come in, and Roy would do the same thing year after. And it worked. It must have worked for 10, 15 years that people, always one person would say, I'm the one that can beat you this year. But it was a pint of boiling water. Absolute genius. <laughs> You like that one, Steve? I like that. You like like that. that. And there, for now, I say for now, because who knows when we'll need to pad out another episode, we will leave it. What you might have noticed, certainly if you are um, something like Stephen, a curator of soccer stories, is that there are a couple that we have left for you to go and find, mainly because we couldn't remember when they were, so we couldn't find them ourselves. Um, There is the writing of the expletive in the snow um, in front of Paul Jules, um, I imagine, balconied office at Sheffield Wednesday and uh, also Stephen uh, you were particularly keen to try and find we completely failed the aforementioned Matt Letizier, David Beckham, Glenn Hoddle, Andy Hinchcliffe free kick contest after an England training session so by all means if you can remember the SPM number in which they live let us know it will however be too late for this episode but frustratingly though Hugh I did manage to find the clip from Gary Neville's soccer box of Matt Letizia completely contradicting Chinch's version of that England training ground free kick story what a what a what a beautiful transition from one to the other it would have otherwise been yeah well I'm I'm not entirely sure when we're thinking about uh, contributors who fall back on their great veracity. Certainly uh, in modern times, we rely on Matt Letizier uh, to provide that. I, th- I mean, I think that is typical of the Ramona media, to be honest. <laughs> the um, the COVID hoax Ramona media. That's what you two are doing. So it has been our honour to spend the last five and a half years in the company of not only the former footballer and great pundit Andy Hinchcliffe, but also the incredibly fine raconteur. He has a natural skill for it. And uh, in telling some of those stories, I know that he felt it a much more emotional experience than he ever expected it to be when I maybe suggested to him that at the end of every episode, he might be able to tell some of the stories that he had told to us privately uh, before. The other thing that I, I know that he just cannot get a hold of and perhaps would never be able to appreciate the significance of because he's just too self-effacing is the love that the listeners have for Andy we have been able to illustrate some of it today and he knows that we do it privately with him but given some of the problems that he's had over the years with his own self-esteem it is I imagine to all of us completely baffling uh, that he would find it so difficult to understand the appreciation that the SPM audience has uh, for him, were he only to spend time uh, in in the in my company as I trawl through the emails uh, with some of those sentiments expressed, he would perhaps just get a sense of what uh, the tip of that particular iceberg uh, is. But I know that he appreciates the sentiments, even though he would never allow himself to indulge in them. I think mainly Chinch found it an emotional experience because when you suggested it to him he didn't realize he'd have to come up with 200 stories <laughs> he was thinking half a dozen tops yeah six tops and then 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 we're done yeah and then five years later we're still texting him every week saying andy have you got a story yeah. <laughs> this will have petered out by spring 2017 we'll be home by christmas it is with self-indulgence in mind that we uh, we end the podcast episode uh, this week because uh, since we announced that the live show would be our last uh, episode because yes it's my fault 
uh, of, a, of a turn my career is taking that prohibits me from producing any uh, independent content from September onwards. Um, you have in your, what's less than a drove, Rory? Word Smith, Smith? What's less than a drove? <laughs> gaggle. You have in your gaggles uh, been sending in emails uh, to just react to the news. And so if you will allow us a couple of minutes, uh, because I certainly was moved by some of the words that you're able to express so eloquently. Now Rory and Stephen will not match that sense of emotional engagement with the audience and wonder why on earth I'm reading them out. So we start with a buffalo, Adam Bremner, who writes this. Dear Hugh, Rory, Stephen and Chinch, what a blow to my Wednesday New York time morning. I open my Twitter feed on the way to work as I'm starting SPM 271 in the background. And there it is. No spoiler alert. No scroll past this if you don't want to know. Warning. Farewells from loving fans who have no respect for those of us yet to listen to the news. I'd say that would be Buffalo status losing behaviour. But alas, has that club lost all its value? Or can I say that I'm a member of a lost and forgotten tribe? I think there might be a T-shirt in that. He suggests wisely. Seriously, thank you for all the fun and the memories. I discovered you during the early days of COVID hold up in Long Island and it's been a pleasure ever since. I continue to try and not be too heartbroken by the lack of interest in any of you to come and sample the hot dogs, hot tub and pool out on the east tip of Long Island and have not given up hope of a reunion tour of live shows to hit the US in five years or so, by which stage Rory will be part of the Men in Blazers show here, Stephen will be with ESPN and he will be the voice of NPR. Best of luck to you all and your families. That's from Adam Bremner. Uh, Adam, thank you very much indeed. Uh, being holed up at the beginning of COVID on Long Island with a hot tub, hot dogs and pool, does anybody have a better situation hmm. in which to complain about? It is the great scandal of Set Piece Menu that we never made that trip happen, by the way. Stephen Platt has this email. Hello, retiring, had enough, packing it in and jog off. Buffalo Stephen Platt here. You may remember I was responsible for simulating the results of Rory's proposed Ryder Cup of football back in the heady COVIDless days of 2019. I'm getting in touch to thank you all for your podcasting output since 2016, which was the same year I began my PhD studies. I'm pleased to be able to share with you all that I now have another honorific that prefixes my name and one that is worth almost as much as Buffalo. That's right, I have completed the PhD and am now a doctor. This will please Rory the most, who upon learning I had been spending my time simulating fictional football competitions for him instead of writing my exegesis, claimed, exclaimed, your PhD is going to be dreadful. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I wanted to take the time to thank you all for making a programme that has kept me more engaged with the world of football than many of the games themselves over the last five and a half years. I found myself increasingly falling out of love with the game and all the sports washing, financial bloat at the top end of the game, destruction of clubs further down the pyramid, such as Berry and Macclesfield, due to poor ownership and indifferent governance. And the frankly criminal goings on with regards to the Qatar 2022 World Cup have not helped either. Neither is being a Manchester United fan, to be frank. However, programmes such as Set Piece Menu have reminded me that there is still a culture around professional football that I want to remain a part of. A friendly, caring camaraderie that creates bonds which can defy religious, national and socio-economic divides. It can even link personalities and form friendships between people as disparate as Rory and Chinch. I was saddened to learn of the impending end of SPM, but I'm thrilled for Hugh and his new career, and I wish him and you all the best of luck in the future. I shall miss the chat, the topics, the references to Didsbury, and Jack Reacher. All of it. Kind regards, Buffalo Dr. Stephen Platt. 
Hamal Shah says, Dear the GOAT podcasters, thank you for all the content and thought-provoking discussions you entertained your listeners with. I cannot stress enough how much enjoyment and joy I got out of it. I only found out about SPM in early 2020 and have been listening since episode 165. I'm now glad I wasn't one of the more enthusiastic ones who got into SPM late and started at episode one. I, have, I now have something to look forward to. As I had three of my letters read out over the last two years, I was desperately hoping for something useful to say for my fourth one and the Buffalo status one, he assumes. But unfortunately, you are now closing shop. I am hoping that in getting Rory to unblock me on his Twitter account whilst live on the pod when you read out my first email was and still is a first and would afford me a Buffalo status. The last Buffalo, he again assumingly suggests. I know that just by mentioning it, that uh, means that I will not be given one, he correctly suggests. <laughs> but I'm hoping that maybe you are all mob happy enough to overlook that point. We are not. Congratulations, Hugh. Good luck, Andy, Steve, Roy, and hopefully SPM 2.0 is a thing sometime in the future. Hasta luego. That is from Himal. I like his dedication to Buffalo status. It's a bit, it's a bit like joining the Communist Party in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> when there were no, by no means droves, only gaggles. Uh, Matthew Kraft says this. He's from Saltburn in uh, North Yorkshire. Dear John... Oh, it's Paul... nice. There's, a nice, there's a, oh. meant to be a nice crab restaurant in Saltburn, although I'd query whether it's North Yorkshire. I think it might be Teesside. <laughs> he starts with an insult. Hello, Matthew. Uh, Dear John, Paul, George and Yoko, he says, is Hugh. <laughs> I've been a long-time listener from around episode eight, but never written in to compliment or suggest a topic. And for that, I must apologise. Don't worry. We've insulted you, Matt. You don't need to. I have, however, always found room in my podcast schedule to listen in to your fantastic discussions and always feel my love for the game heightened, even when in real life the opposite is often the case. I'm sure you're deluged currently with similar emails, so I'll keep mine brief. I will miss you. It's been great to be a part of the SPM community, even if only peripherally. And although the reasons for finishing are certainly to be congratulated, it will still leave a big hole in my continuing commuting life. I wish you all the very best in both life and future careers, and thank you for being a regular companion for the last five years. Regards, Matthew Kraft, Saltburn in North Yorkshire slash Teesside. No, in fact, Cleveland. 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 Is that yeah. worse or better? Um, it's all dreadful. <laughs> because it's not Yorkshire. So long, Matthew. <laughs> Godspeed to you with, with two insults. P.S. He says, given the magnitude of this decision, I wonder if we should go to VAR to confirm its validity. Maybe Stephen could advise on that point. I wish th there was clear and obvious evidence that the original decision should be overturned. But unfortunately, we are going to have to go with the on-field referee. Uh, you notice he didn't uh, use his catchphrase there because he's editing and he doesn't want to find the beep. Uh, our penultimate email comes from Lloyd Mallinson, who says, Dear Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, I've never written in before, despite listening to every minute of this podcast and despite numerous urges to do so over the years. What to say worthy of your time to read it? I've never written into any podcast before, in fact, despite listening to an awful lot of them. But before you end, I have to add my voice to the many who I'm sure will tell you, this is my favourite podcast and thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of it. Collectively, you've been a soundtrack to a very specific, formative time for your audience. You've changed the way I think about football and helped me find such profound joy in the game to the degree where a passionate interest in football isn't some dirty secret I feel I have to hide as much as something I wear proudly. A studious fascination with one of civilization's most popular forms of culture and human expression. Thank you for giving me not only your voices and thoughts and dynamic over the past five and a half years and the laughs, but, my, but deepening my interest in one of the best pastimes on earth and giving me a lasting lens through which to view it. You don't know me, but you have been crucial to creating a not insignificant part of the fabric of who I am. 
so I couldn't let you finish without expressing my immeasurable gratitude. I'll miss the pod very, very deeply. Again, I think I speak for many when I say congratulations, Hugh, but also more than just a little bit, fuck you. Um, sorry, Stephen, we need the bleep. Already awaiting the is. reunion. You finish it. might it. get left in there. I don't know where it is. <laughs> Your loyal listener, Lloyd Mallison, uh, who is a Brit in uh, Brooklyn. And Lloyd, that should we ever need to pitch to any major broadcaster, will be the entirety of that pitch. Uh, thank you very much indeed. And we finish with Ivan Gadjev, who says this. Dear SPM, the other day I put on your latest episode as I started an afternoon walk with my dog. As soon as the pre-intro babbling came on, I felt a sense of calm and familiarity. The sun was out, but it wasn't too hot. I had finished most of my work for the day, nothing pressing. I had had my afternoon coffee and it was delicious. Things were just kind of all right. I just want to thank you for making the podcast. Thanks. That's from Ivan. It started off a bit Lee Chan, Jack Reacher, and yet it finished off very much more meaningfully. Although without a headbutt. That we know of. <laughs> For all of your emails, thank you very much indeed. Um, I think we said a couple of weeks ago that uh, this has been a meaningful exercise for all of us. Uh, and to find out in some small way it has resonated with you, it does mean a lot to us, even if we have to be rather self-indulgent to let you all know about the reciprocal nature of that relationship, even if Roy and I don't send reciprocal texts for our birthdays. Keep uh, your correspondence coming. If you want to say happy birthday to Rory for turning 40 on the 17th of June. 30. <laughs> on the 17th of June. Uh, please do so. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com is the email address. We are around, of course, until July the 20th, our live show. Head to myticket.co.uk to buy your ticket for the live show at 21 Soho, our final ever episode. In the meantime, please subscribe, share, rate, and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Rory and Stephen, and a particular mention in absentia uh, for Chinch today. And to you all for listening as well, our greatest and grateful thanks. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I'm looking forward to next week's episode, which is just a mashup of all my greatest monologues. <laughs> it'll, be all of your, it'll be your Sunday league playing stories. That'll teach There's him to miss the podcast, won't it? <laughs> if we just we just give him an hour of me talking, then all of this emotion will just w- sort of w- dwindle away. Do you know what? I'm glad these lot are stopping. This is ridiculously <laughs> yeah. dull. This is part of the exercise. If we start churning out stuff that they've all heard before, they'll be like, you know what? It has run its course. There's, th- yeah. This feels like a natural ending. When we all get together for the live show, we're just going to sit there and play a tape of a previous episode. <laughs> yeah, it would be like... Yeah, we need to get everyone to like Simpsons series 17 levels of kind of emotional attachment. Like we used to like this, but now it's a bit shit. Sorry, Steve, another beep.